Okay. Yeah, it's the widescreen. That takes a shot. Hey everybody, welcome to the Patty G Show. I'm your host, Patty G. We are here with Nick Pentis of Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge. I'm excited to learn a little bit more about Nick's backstory, how he got to where he is today, and also some of the incredible culture-building activities and just philosophies that they have over at Mercedes-Benz. I'm really excited to get to know his story about being an entrepreneur, going from an employee all the way up to an owner. It's going to be super great, super exciting. A big, wonderful shout out to our lovely sponsors making this show possible. Today is National Margarita Day, so we are sipping a margarita from Government Taco. Big thanks also to Currency Bank, Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge, and Horizon Financial Group, all proud sponsors of the show. We are excited to continue pushing forward for 2022. And without further ado, Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you, Patrick. Glad to be here. Glad to have you on, and I want to... Learn a little bit more about what you got going on. We'll get to the lanyard of okay. what you're wearing. I know All the story right. behind it, but okay. let's give a little background about who is Nick. Well, Nick is a, a local guy, went to public school in Baton Rouge, grew up here, uh, went to LSU and and found a career, found a home at Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge and made this place my, my home my, and uh, raising a family here, running a business, having fun, enjoying life. I so. love that. So you didn't start out as an owner of Mercedes, right? Right, right. So what's that story? How did you get to where you are today? So a, a lot of people that are, you know, in the business, usually to get to be an owner, it's a family business, right? It's it's handed over from a father to a son or a mother to a son. Uh, so for, for me, I kind of had a different path, right? So I, while I was a student at LSU getting my degree, I, I got a part-time job at the at the dealership washing cars. So you wouldn't normally think somebody that starts off at the car wash would even have the opportunity to get to to that point. Uh, so that's how I started. Um, part-time job, finishing my degree. Yeah, I mean, let alone a part-time job, right? Yeah. Like they view that as, oh, he's just, you know, doing whatever. He's not there for the long haul. Right. So it seems like a temporary thing. Right. Uh, so while I continue to, to finish my, my college degree, uh, as I started at the car wash, I was given other opportunities, did the best I could at, at washing cars. So uh, then they offered me to be a valet and then do roadside technician and start to do more things. So uh, I always took on every opportunity. If they if there was a need and somebody asked me to do it, I said, yeah, I'm willing to do it and I'll, I'll give you my best. Yeah. And that's so, all that, you know, can be expected is just your yeah. best putting that foot forward and yeah. just doing everything you can. Yeah. And I mean, the people there were so great. They're always good to me, you know, so just to even give me those little opportunities early on uh, was was just a blessing to work for a company like that, because typically, you know, if you're part time, they they kind of treat you like you're part time and you're <laughs> you know, what are you going to do after you graduate? And after I graduate, I, I, I thought I would be moving on. But at that point, I was offered a, a full time job and. You know, so I had to weigh out my options. I'd already had a child by then before I graduated, and it was like I really needed to support my family. So it was like, okay. The, 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 dr- the dreams and, you know, not living paycheck to paycheck and going, you know, doing yeah. the wild, crazy things was kind of behind you at that point. Yeah, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> you had to so, make it work for the family. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So I stayed on full time. I worked in the service department as a service advisor uh, shortly after uh, is when... Uh, Joe Crest, Joe Gresty bought the store and came on board, and he started to recognize what I was doing in my current role, and I think he saw something in me that I, at that point, I was, you know, 25 years old. I didn't even see it in myself yet. You know, I was, I was doing the job and doing what I needed to do. You know, uh, supporting my family, but I didn't, I didn't know what I could accomplish. Right. So. At that point, the the lens in which you viewed the role was making sure your family had something to eat every night and making yeah. sure, you know, your family was taken care of and supported. It wasn't that entrepreneurial mindset of, well, maybe I can own this place one day. Maybe I can call it mine, you know, or be yeah. a part of what they're doing here. Yeah. I mean, at what was there a point in time when that that thought kind of entered your head of maybe there is something to this business ownership? Yeah, I think after a few years and having the right person, somebody that saw something in me, he had made some comments and mentioned some things like, you know, stick with me. I see a bright future for you. And everybody 
kind of looks for that mentor that that can you know get the get the most out of you and so a few years later he had a partner that he came into the the business with and he wanted to buy that partner out and so he he looked at you know the people that were at the uh, dealership already and said okay who who can who can i join forces with who can uh, raise up some funds and and join up with me and be a be a co-owner and I was one of those people because I think he just had a, a saw my future and saw what I could do uh, for the company and that's when that was offered to me and in 2008 I was 28 years old and it was like I'll, wow. I'll to be even offered something like that I was like okay I got to raise some capital <laughs> I got to get involved in this because I just saw where it was going I knew the potential we had Right. So, you, you could see where the company was going to go. Yeah. From yeah. even from 28 years old, when some people would hesitantly do business with you because yeah. of that age. Right. Yeah. Did you ever run into any roadblocks because of that? Yeah, I think it was kind of tough because some of the, you know, management, some of the people there, you know, at that young of an age to even be in that position or to have the beginnings of a leadership role, you know, you might not gain their respect just because of your age. And so, I mean, that's where I kind of started to learn that, you know, servant leadership and, and proving yourself in ways other than, you know, having ego and just being a humble uh, producer. That's where I kind of learned about, you know, how to navigate that, that, those waters and, and be that kind of person. Because I think a lot of times people just let, let the status, let the ego get to them and they don't approach people the right way. So, uh, I had to gain respect in a different manner and I had to learn, you know, how to do that. Yeah. And I think one particular aspect of being a young individual in business that people are typically not going to look at you with all this experience from the get go. Right. Yeah. You know, if you sit down in a room with someone and you say, Hey, I'm Nick, I'm, you know, the owner, 28 years old, I'm in the management position. They're going to be like, Oh, how do you, you relate it? They're going to try to find some immediate family connection, right? Yeah, this must have yeah. been given to you. That's why you're in this position. Right. Not seeing the hours and the years you've already put in to get to the point where you're at now. Mm -hmm. And so I think as a younger individual coming into a leadership role, it's almost tougher than if you're a person that's more advanced, right? Yeah. Because they have the age numbers behind them. Oh, that's you know, right. oh, you're 40. You've been in the business 20 years. You know what you're doing. Right. Whereas right. with you, they're like, how can you know what you're doing at such a young age? Yeah. And I was still learning at that point. It wasn't, I, I didn't have you know, full operational control at that point. I, I had a management position. Uh, I was a pre-owned sales manager. After that, I became the general sales manager a year later. And then in 2013 is when I became the general manager and the, the operator. And at that point, my partner, Joe, uh, decided to go open a few more Mercedes stores. So he started to venture off, but he had to trust somebody to, I guess, for lack of a better term, leave the keys to the dealership. At that point, I was 33. And that's when it was my store to run. And I always had them there for guidance. And I had, you know, a lot of, I, I talk about myself a lot, but it's, it's really not about me. I had a lot of people surrounding me, you know, really we say it takes a village. I had, and still to this day, a lot of those people are still there, even though, you know, everything falls on me at some point, I do have a lot of experience there. People that have been there 25, 30 years around to, you know, guide me and, and give me advice on how to do things. So it's, it's really about the team and it's less about, you know, one individual, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a, it's been a fun journey with, with the people that we have. Yeah. And so. I, th I think being able to recognize that too, right. Is yeah. the important part. Being able to recognize it does take a village. It does take a whole community of people banding together to create what the company is. It's not just one person. Yeah. And I think that may be like a, a, a tipping point for those who are, they were aged a little more and maybe mm -hmm. hesitant to be taken on by a boss that's young, so much younger than them. It's like, well, he sees it as a community. He's not coming in as this hot shot like you said. Yeah. You're not coming in with this egotistical aspect of yourself like, oh, I'm the big boss. It's all what I'm going to say. It's no, guys. Right. I'm here to listen to y'all. Yeah. What do you need? How can we make this whole situation better? How can we as a family, a community, an organization grow as one mm -hmm. and not just me come in and tell you how everything's going to be done? Exactly. And that's where the culture aspect comes in, you know, because each place has their own culture. But we had to kind of sit down and define who we wanted to be. And I know when me and you talked before, I, I really spoke about who we are, what, you know, what is our vision? What are our guiding principles? What are we going to base things off of? And uh, so, 
you know, that's what what made our company so good here locally, but it also was something that we could carry on into these other states. And we're in four states in the southern region, and we're duplicating those efforts. And even though there might be a little differences and nuances at each location, it's still pretty much the same culture and blueprint that's that's guiding the company. So, so what went into making that culture? Well, it's funny. It's kind of like you, you think about like a lot of these companies that are designed in a in a garage and I mean we kind of had to do something similar to that so we built in the living room and all that yeah Yeah. we had a we had a summit and we all left to go to Lake Conroe and and kind of seclude ourselves from everybody and we had some ideas from our first store in Baton Rouge but we all got together and we we it was I was the scribe we had like a a whiteboard and I had a marker and we (laughs) we sat down and we wrote we wrote all the stuff on this card, like our company philosophy, our mantra, um, our dedication to our culture, and we we designed it. And we took some of the things we were already doing, and we added, you know, some some flair from other ideas. I mean, we didn't reinvent the wheel. We just took what a lot of people did really well and made it our own, and really put it out there and and continue to coach and train on it and reinforce it. So that's what made it kind of made it fun. I mean, we we had pages and pages and I was writing it all down. And, you know, that when you do something like that, you almost kind of, you know, it's like an accountability. If I'm not going to put this on paper and and wear it daily unless I'm going to do it, you don't have a choice. It's like it's who you are. Well, and then like so the the lanyard that you're wearing right now, kind of explain and walk us through that because people can see that as they're watching the show. And I wear it. I wear it proudly. This is our culture card. Uh, and it just kind of goes through a few different things. It has our uh, our statement, we are a high-performance team with big hearts and an extraordinary culture. So it lists our mission statement. We have a company philosophy. We have a mantra and a commitment to our culture. And, I, you know, one of the things I'll read one of the things to you. I don't want to just read off the card, but uh, our philosophy is that we're a luxury retailer, not a car dealer, and we'll measure ourselves in that light. Uh, the other thing about our commitment to our culture is – that you know, we will hire, train, recruit, everything based off of our culture. It's not use it when it's convenient. It is it is our blueprint, and we use it all the time. And you know, obviously, part of our culture is also doing everything we can to take care of our customers. So one of the things on here is we will trip, fall, and skin our knees to delight our customers and our guests. So uh, so you know, we wear it, and on the back of it, we have what we call our quiver of arrows, and it's like a list of guiding principles and there's some really good examples here that we could talk about a little bit later but yeah so every employee wears it is is given this uh they go through a presentation that we have pre-recorded that talks about it and we have our cultural pillars that i'd like to talk to you about if you if you want to discuss yeah some, let's, some let's, let's let's go there because it sounds like these yeah. the the culture aspect is such an important element Whenever yeah. y'all were taking the, the business to the next level. Yeah. Like y'all had the first location, y'all were figuring out, you got it, you got it squared away. But then you also have to figure out how can you put the lightning in a bottle and yeah. transport it to other locations. And it seems yeah. like the culture was such a very important part of that. Yeah. So one of the first things that we decided that we were gonna do was we created this team called the culture team. And what it is, it's it's various employees from each uh, department, and they're carefully selected. And so we meet every week, every Tuesday, 10 o'clock on the dot, okay? <laughs> we meet, and everybody brings a story that they have to nominate a, a fellow coworker for going above and beyond to help a customer, a fellow coworker, a random person on the street. So at that point, we value high integrity, high character. It's not just, okay, you come to work, you have a role, you do an exceptional job, you know, doing what your job description says you should do. And that's all we recognize. We recognize people for doing something nice for others or doing something exceptional for a customer. And so we, we meet every week, we not, we nominate the people and then we vote. And each week the winner gets a culture coin. We have our own coins minted their value is $500 in value. We give one out a week. We give $50,000 worth of them a year, and they can cash them in at the end of the year for, you know, a cruise or a watch or or uh, I've given a jet ski and a four-wheeler. Just, <laughs> just crazy ran, random, random things, yeah. 
But yeah, what we started to do is, you know, look at our customers and have gift cards to their businesses, some of the people that we partner with and try to make it more local and stuff like that. But, you know, I think a lot of people do it uh, for the reward of taking care of somebody rather than the prize at the end. So it is nice to get the prize, but it's also nice to get the recognition. And we have a, a company text message that we send out and recognize and then We'll do a questionnaire and share it on our social media and let you know with a picture. Let yeah, you know I saw that. I saw that today. Yeah. You had a, a, a um, oh, what was his name? The gentleman's name. It was a car washer or something. And it had yeah. his six or eight questions, whatever it was. Yeah. I thought that was really powerful. Yeah. Well, you get to know our people, right? We're not just, you know, behind the scenes. You get to know us. We're open. We're transparent. We're human. We're there to, you know, make a difference. And that's what, you know, we focus on. So that's one of my favorites that we do. There's a few other things, but that's one of my favorites. And we've been doing that for close to 15 years now. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. that's like a legacy at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And we, I think that is important. The yeah. fact that you're pushing the people so much forward yeah. because we've had, you know, a hundred and something guests on the show. And every time we ask them, what do you love about Baton Rouge? It's always the people, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're taking that, you know, bull by the horns within Mercedes and saying, we're going to show off our people that make up this great communication within the organization. Yeah. Yep. So that's one of the ones we do. The other thing is we always want to, you know, we always want to look out for our guests. We have a a call system that in case somebody cannot get who they need, uh, there's a point where they can hit in the menu that they want to speak to the management of that department. Or if they can't get that uh, department, they can hit a button and all the managers in the store, their phones will ring with an urgent notification to know that's like a distress call. Pick that call up. We have a customer who needs to get somebody on the phone. Right. And so, you know, I mean, you hear that a lot. You got a lot going on. You know, we're running multiple businesses in one, right? We're running a sales organization, a service organization, a logistics company with our parts department, you know, so we're running all these <laughs> things and these phones are ringing and you want to make sure that if somebody, you know, doesn't, can't leave a message or can't wait for a return, that their phone call gets picked up and that somebody, they'll have a live person to, to attend to them. Yeah, I mean, if they're stuck on the side of the road with a problem that they need to call a dealer about, yeah. they want to be able to talk to somebody. They can't yeah. wait. All right, we'll call you back in business hour. Like, no, we need to know now. Yeah. So those are a few of the things that we do that we enjoy doing. Uh, and, you know, there's some other things that, that we do. We have coaching, mentoring. Uh, we, you know, we try to do a, uh, I say try, we do, uh, as long as, you know, we had some issues with COVID. But we do a quarterly employee event. Uh, one of the things that I like doing is a monthly employee appreciation event where we pick a Friday, usually second, third Friday of every month. And basically I create um, a document that I share information. We announce anniversaries. We announce the employee of the month who gets two coins, by the way. And then I kind of give them a state of the business. So I stay in front of the employees and I let them know how we're doing, what's going on. Uh, but one of the favorite things I do is the anniversaries, recognizing people. And we have, like I said, people that have 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, even 30 plus years of tenure there. And there's a reason why people want to stay there is because we care about our employees. And yeah, I mean, without them, we're we're nothing, right? Right. I mean, the cars aren't, uh, yeah. all the different apartments can't work without people in them to make it happen. And it yeah. sounds like this, the company culture of what y'all have going on at Mercedes is so powerful and so much a main focus point that y'all are spending like this is significant dollars going into the culture employee Mm -hmm. element of the business yeah and it doesn't always have to be the dollars yes we sacrifice that uh but i mean there's little things that you can do like i personally have taken upon myself for everybody's birthday i hand write them a birthday card i mean there's not a gift card in there it's a handwritten note words of encouragement. I let them know I know what's going on with their performance, what's going on in their life. I try to make sure and have that connection with everyone. And that goes a long way. And it doesn't, it's not something that costs a lot of money. It's just, it takes some time and it takes some, you know, you have to care to, to do it. You got to know about people and you got to know about them and, and you got to keep up with the the calendar and uh, go and hand deliver them the card. And that's something that I really enjoy doing. Uh, and I didn't always do that. That's probably three or four years that I've been doing that. So it's not always, you know, some big financial budget or line item thing that you have to do to let your people know that you care. So, but yes, it is, 
it is important. Uh, the events, the you know, what we try to do is we'll do a crawfish bowl first quarter. We'll do a picnic second quarter. Third quarter, when Mercedes had the, the Superdome, we'd get a suite and bring everybody on a chartered bus mm-hmm. to the suite. And in the fourth quarter, we do a holiday party. So there's something going on. We try to get together and you know have a good time together. The first thing on the back of this card is have fun. Yeah. I mean, you spend a lot of time at work. You might as well you spend enjoy spend a majority of your life at work. <laughs> yeah. So isn't it better when you enjoy the people that you're with and, and you get to have fun with them as well? A hundred percent. And I think yeah. especially now in, you know, coming on the backside of COVID and people really evaluating their life and what they wanted to do with their life, they're making that decision now in the workplace. They're making the decision if they weren't happy and they were just in the job because they were scared of not having the job. Yeah. Then they went through what we went through over these last two years and realized, okay, we're survived. We're still here. Now I really want to focus on what makes me happy. What do I want to wake up and be excited to go for? I mean, some days you're not going to be excited. It's just a bad day or whatever's going to happen. That's going to happen. But majority of the time, you want to be excited to go into work. You want to be mm-hmm. excited to go into this place of business that you're going to spend a majority of your day at. You're going to be away from your family and your friends. You're going to be away from your kids, your spouse, whomever. And you're going to be at this place for a majority of the day. And what we're going through right now, I think they're dubbing it as the great resignation, right? And so having company culture as such an important element of your business, being at the forefront of it, like you said, it's not the dollars. It's making sure that they feel as the employees connected to management, connected to the owners, and cared for in a way that they want to stick around and be continuing under that path, right? If they're not feeling cared for or appreciated, they're out the door. Mm-hmm. We saw that over the last two years. People are leaving their jobs left and right to go find them the next best opportunity, yeah. not so much for the dollars, but for how they're going to feel interacting with management. Yeah, and they and they want to you know, have a place that has vision, has clarity, but also is rewarding to do the work, you know, to, it, to be recognized for the hard work that you put, put in and be appreciated. And I think one of the other things that we do that I – get a lot of great feedback on is you know we get feedback from our employees we do um we do annual what we call speed dating but we bring everybody in and ask them three questions you know it's like what do you love about this place what would you fix if you could and if you were owner or gm for the day what would you what's the one best idea you have you know so things like that you got to ask your employees you got to ask them questions it's not just this is our initiatives. This is what we're doing. You know, execute the plan. It's right. What do you think we should do? How do we do things better? What can make it a better place for, for, you know, to work. And another thing that we do that I think resonates a lot with people is, uh, the community involvement. And in those monthly employee appreciation meetings, I let them know all of our community events. So it's not just, we do it. Maybe they see us, you know, sponsoring an event or, they see us giving away a car at holidays. It is actually something that I share with them, and I'm proud to share that this is what we're doing in the community. And they're even involved in giving back. We do a, a, a day off per quarter for volunteer work, and it's paid. So if they That's powerful. Yeah, so they can you know do it as a team. I've gone to the food bank with a few other people and, and boxed up food. Uh, whether it's Habitat for Humanity, we sent a crew to build houses. We've helped with animal shelters. We've done numerous things, and that's also team building. Obviously, we can't have you know everybody out on the same day because we still have to operate, right? Yeah, but, you, still, you still have to fund <laughs> all these things that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. So, but it it is something that they enjoy, and they know that we're altruistic, and it's not just you know. I mean, I could sit up here talk to you about cars and service and you know things like that but that's not what I'm talking about you know I mean that's yes that's part of what we do but it's the people that we care for and the services that we deliver is 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 more of what what you know we're focused on and less about you know this is our great product that we have yeah I mean I think the the product in essence speaks for itself right people know what the product is but more importantly, they're not going to come. They're going to come to you a for the product, but b they're going to stay with you for the service that you provide, and they're going to see sitting in the in the lobby waiting for somebody or waiting for they're going to get paperwork or some 
whatever it is, and they're going to see how the management and the owners interact with the employees and how they interact with themselves. And if they see a good, strong sense of community within that organization, they're going to want to stick with you for the long haul. And the product is then just their door, their foot in the door, right? They're yeah. going to say, we want to be a part of that community. Whatever Mercedes has going on in that building and within that community, we want to be a part of it. And if the way we have to be a part of it is to get a car or to get a product that they're selling, we're in. Yeah. Because they know that they're going to be treated just as well as they're treating their employees. I mean, you can take a look at any company, see how they treat their employees. Yeah. you got to know that there's going to be some level of relationship between how they treat their employees and how they treat their customers. And if they don't have a good foundation with treating their employees well, their customers is probably all going to be a front, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and if your employees are happy, they're more than likely to oh, take yes. good care of your customers. So, and look, it's not, I don't want to make it seem it's all, you know, unicorns and rainbows. I mean, we have our <laughs> challenges. Yeah. We do. We have our challenges with our employees. <laughs> uh, we have our challenges with our customers. But I think what you have with us is you have access. If there is an issue and we did something wrong, we make it right. Or if we make a bad hire, our culture weeds that person out super quick. It's not like, you know, somebody's staying on there for years and they're like, oh yeah, so-and-so is just difficult and doesn't, you know, isn't our culture and doesn't, you know, take care of people and doesn't do the right things. And we just like let them fester and, you know, be, you know, affect other people. It, it's, and I, we even say this, we're like, we don't have to let people go. They let themselves go. It's almost like they just- right. They just kind of say, okay, whoa, this is, uh, you know, as we say, a high performance team with big hearts. If you don't feel like you're a part of that, you're almost like, let me find a way out of here because this is in, not intense, but it's, you know, it's not the place for me. They're, they're a little too serious about the culture and how they, how they want to do things. Yeah. So most people will find their way out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and, you know, like I said, if we make mistakes or if, we're, if we need to change something, update a process, find ways to do things better. I mean, we've been thrown all these challenges. I mean, think about it from the flood to the hurricanes to COVID. We're, we're navigating all these curveballs that are coming at us, you know, with inventory challenges and semiconductors and parts delays. I mean, we have to navigate all that. We have to manage expectations and communicate and support each other because there's, you know, there's so many unknowns. I mean, there's times where I can't tell you when your part's going to be in or when something's going to happen. And we're just so not used to that. You know, we're used right. to that instant gratification, having technology <clears throat> tell you, you know, you're used to Amazon, right? Like <laughs> I want to order something. <laughs> the, it's going to be here tomorrow. Day or same day delivery. Right. Yeah. But now we've even seen that doesn't always work that way. So, no. so yeah. along that, that line of supply chain issues, what have y'all seen over the last year, two years and, looking back on what 2020 was like and then experiencing 21 and now in a 22, what are the differences and the changes that y'all have seen just within the car industry? Yeah. I mean, one of the main things we've seen is just, you know, understanding logistics a little better and, you know, where we used to think it's like, okay, how do they produce vehicles? It's something that we never really had to concern ourselves with. It was like we had a system and we'd look at it and everything was pretty, you know, on schedule. And now it's like, okay, why isn't it on schedule? And there's only so much information that will be disclosed to us, but you know, we can dig and try to ask. And it's like, you know, now they've done more of a real time manufacturing. A lot of manufacturers do that. So it's not like, you know, they just have all these, you know, bumpers laying around and all these tires and wheels laying around. It's, it's specific to that one car. So if a wheel's missing, or if it's a bumper's gonna be a while. that's going to hold up that car. They're not going to pull it from another car, you know? So we've learned a little bit more about m maybe more than we wanted to know about how <laughs> that works. Uh, also how the shipping works with, you know, we have a, a couple factories in the U S but we still have a lot of cars coming from overseas, from Germany, from Hungary, from Austria, Finland, South, South Africa. So there is a lot of, you know, I think people think just cars are built in one place, but we have factories all over the world and they're shipping cars to us. So we learned a little bit about how the ships have to stop at multiple ports. Sometimes we track them and we're like, okay, it's on its way here and it's just going to stop here and that's it. But no, it's got to stop in Maryland and then it's got to stop in Jacksonville. And, you know, so there, there's some of those things that we've learned. Um, I think, you know, with the semiconductor and the chips, I, I learned that it's, you know, cars have 
multiple chips, maybe even hundreds, thousands of and chips. There's, some there's cars. so many yeah. electronics in the car. Like I know I've got a, um, I've got a Jeep Gladiator out there. Mm-hmm. That is a I think a 21 or whatever. And going from my 94 Wrangler YJ having essentially one computer chip in it to yeah. this thing that I'm driving now is just crazy. Yeah. With the advancement in technology and like now that you know electric cars are out there and hybrid cars are out there, just the amount of electronics built within the vehicle is just crazy to think about yeah and it's come a long way and the electronics are great for safety reasons um you know for things operating better like acs working better cars starting faster and being more efficient you know that's some of the things that we're talking about with electric cars and the efficiency and the environment um the sustainable materials now they're using so they're you know getting a lot more creative with the materials that they're using but with that being said with the electronics it kind of has some side effects that people don't think about right like disposing of these batteries or, you know, where it used to be a 20 year old car, you know, was mostly mechanical and it mm-hmm. was fine. And you can keep that car running for as long. Now, oh, yeah. now we're struggling with 12, 15 year old cars because they have so much, even those cars have technology, but nobody's updating them. And these parts vendors are not continuing to make parts for these lower supply vehicles. And all these, you know, like I said, nuances, there's so many different vendors that make parts for a car and, you know, without the aftermarket, there's some times where you have a 12-year-old car where you think, this car can drive for three, 400,000 miles, but I can't get a part for it. So it almost becomes obsolete based mm-hmm. on parts vendors no longer finding a need to make parts and nobody in the aftermarket getting involved. So, you know, cars aren't going to last as long going forward with this technology. No. So there's going to be a shorter lifespan of a vehicle because once that technology, it, nobody's updating it or nobody's providing parts for it, it's it's not going to have the life that it did once before. Gosh, so. no. I mean, I bought, I bought my mine was a '94 YJ that had one computer chip in it that would run the entire vehicle, and I bought it in probably, oh gosh, I had just turned like 16 or something, and I I purchased it in like mid 2010, 2012, or whatever the year was. And I kept it for another five years and then sold it to somebody else. And that car was 25 years old by the time I got rid of it. And it was still going to be continued going. Now, I think 25 years down the road, people are going to have to update the chip system, update the computer system. And it comes down to an inventory management problem, right? You know, we're in the Fly Focus studio and they're seeing that in the real estate market. They're seeing that with homes going up for sale and going off the market the same day that things just aren't in inventory as they used to be two years ago. And it's affecting a ton of people. It's affecting the restaurant industry, the car industry, the retail industry, the real estate industry. It's just astronomically crazy from now in comparison to 2020, where everything was, oh, we'd had so much inventory. You could buy as many car lots were full. It was packed. We had to, you know, we were pushing, we were giving the cars away so we'd get more in. And now we're begging the manufacturers like send us more cars. We don't yeah. have enough time. We don't have enough on hand to continue selling. Yeah. And I think there, there's going to be a shift in how the manufacturers handle production going forward. You know, I don't see it ever. People ask me, is it, when's it going to get back to normal? And I just don't see it going back to what it was before because now, and as you've seen with the Bronco and maybe even the lightning truck, uh, other vehicles that the manufacturers are taking orders and, you know, t- the Tesla model is where, well, they're taking orders beforehand. So instead of building a bunch of cars that maybe people may not want, you start to take orders and get exactly what people want and have more of a order-based system and less waste or less, you know, vehicles sitting on the lot because when they sit, what happens? You know, environmental depreciation. Uh, dealers incur a lot of floor plan expenses if they're not moving then the manufacturer gets involved and that's when they started doing all the hey here's some dollar incentives or rebates or subsidized rates and dropping zero percent that's because the cars weren't moving they did those things the manufacturer took on that burden to help dealers move cars that weren't moving Mm -hmm. they overstocked us so there's no need to overstock there's no need to overstock get you know if you have a smarter, more efficient system. You get what people, you either take orders or you get what people really want. Yeah. And just focus on that. And that, look, nobody has a crystal ball and predict. No, there's the no future. perfect system. There's no perfect system. And you can even see it at 
you know, I mean, Walmart, wh whatever business you want to get into as far as how inventory challenges come up, I don't think anybody has a perfect system and will always have the right amount of the supply and meet to meet demand because those are things that fluctuate based on different uh, variables and they'll continue to. And that that's what's, you know, that's what affects pricing. That's what affects a lot of things that's going on right now. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm an expert on, on all that, you know, on markets and <laughs> I, I can't fully understand yeah. it, but you know, we, we deal with it as, as the information comes through. No, a hundred percent. Like I experienced that whenever I, I bought mine, my, my gladiator last year in May of, yeah, in May of 21. And they only had one vehicle that was close to what I wanted in the state. Mm -hmm. And I'm going from only purchasing used vehicles, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that was my entire life from 16. Well, when I bought my first used vehicle all the way through to when I bought this one, I'd never purchased a new vehicle before. And I went shopping and I'm the kind of the type of person that will spend six to eight months researching that particular model and they'll come up with a new one by the time I finish my research, <laughs> but I'll be that in depth of researching what exactly it is that I want, yeah. where I knew the trim I wanted, the seat color I wanted, what the stitching color was going to be. And when I went to the, the dealer and I said, Hey, I want to purchase this vehicle. They said, okay, well, we got one in the lot. I said, no, no, no. I've already looked at one in the lot. I've already seen your inventory. That's not the one I want. Cause I wanted the, the diesel gladiator yeah. that they didn't have. They only had one in stock in the state. It was a diesel. And it wasn't the right trim package that I wanted. So I had to order it. Mm -hmm. And having that order system in place, it took three months for the vehicle to come in. But it was still, they knew exactly what vehicle they had to make that was already sold. Yeah. So have y'all kind of seen the similar element within Mercedes of people coming in and wanting specific things that y'all don't have on the floor? Yeah, we've seen that. And it's been, there's a lot more ordering taking place. And I think that's going to continue to happen with, with, all various manufacturers and maybe even other industries, you know, even with furniture and um, other things. I mean, build, a lot of people in my neighborhood are building houses because there's no inventory. You said as soon as something pops up in a university club, sometimes within minutes they're sold. Oh, yeah, it, it's, and, it's gone before ghost market. Yeah, yeah, sometimes they're sold. That's what happened in my last house when I lived in Prairieville. I didn't even put it on the market. A neighbor caught wind that I wanted to <laughs> that you, move. That you were thinking about moving. Yeah, and I sold it to a neighbor before it even made it to the market. And so I think you'll start to see a lot more of that. Uh, and so how we navigate that, you know, I think what we wanted to try to teach our people is, you know, kind of be more of hospitality and less sales because ultimately I think that's where a lot of our industries are going, you know. And look, I mean... I think sometimes sales gets a, a bad rap um, because of the word and what the history has, has involved in that. Uh, so that's why we, we've always tried to be a little different as far as that's concerned. And that's why we, we try to teach the hospitality portion of it uh, to our employees. And, you know, we want to be an advisor and, and be there to, to find out what the customer's needs are, listen to the customer, not try to sell them something they may not want. We're there to, Tell them what they want, what fits their needs and their family's needs, unless uh, so, you know, what we happen to have on the lot. And this time has been a little different because everything's moving so fast. So it's almost like people will, you know, accept something a little different than what they originally thought they wanted. Sound like you had something specific in mind, and I'm glad you got exactly what you wanted. But not everybody's in that position, right? Yes. People some, come in, and like you said, the car gets outdated. They yeah. need a car that day. Yeah. I was in a position where I could wait however many months it was necessary mm -hmm. to get the vehicle, but not everybody's there. Yeah, and I think just like everything else, we, we were just so used to that instant gratification. I just think now we're gonna have to get used to planning ahead a little, a little better, and you know, getting the getting the right thing that we want, ordering it, and and doing it a little differently. I think that's gonna that's what we're gonna see shift in the in the business climate nowadays. so Right, and like you said, y'all are a, a lux luxury retail space. So yeah. you think it'll ever get to the point where you have your base floor models out on floor and you meet with your customer, you take them through the experience of deciding what it is exactly that they want, mm -hmm. and the sales process becomes more of not selling them on the car that's on the lot today, but really capturing what they need as an individual and making sure that you're able to order exactly what they want. I mean, yeah. I think that 
I ultimately say that is going to be the new car space. Yeah. Where you've got these manufacturers that have their base parts that are going to be the same across this, you know, band of models. So your, you know, your Mercedes line, whatever, is going to be the same all the way across for different packages, but all the trims are going to be different. Yeah. So then they're going to be ready to make something as soon as the order comes in and specialize it out and personalize it mm-hmm. throughout the whole process instead of making a hundred of this model. With this trim, you're going to say, hey, we need this model with this trim, with this extra thing added to it. Do you yeah. think y'all, y'all will ever get to that point, or yeah. are you there now? We're starting to consolidate. It used to be like everything was a la carte, and that added a lot of complexity, and that made it really difficult to find the exact, you know, exact car and to get the parts that everybody needed to build that car. It just, it just added a lot of time, and inefficiencies and so they've narrowed down they're going to start to you know at some point every manufacturer was like let's offer something for everybody and they expand their model lineup and you know you see you know i mean just so many models i mean people you know being a salesperson was hard to keep up because you you couldn't keep up with all the models and the packaging (laughs) changed every year i mean every year the packaging changed so i think now everybody's like okay maybe we can start to consolidate and be a little bit more efficient with how we package vehicles. And so they're, they're going to start offering basically three trims per model and they're starting to consolidate not, and some models that aren't, you know, um, a high volume model or a core product, they're going to start to reduce some of the model range and really offer, uh, the, the core product that people really want. And look, I mean, we've been, you know, the manufacturer that we work with, Mercedes, has been around for 135 plus years. They've been around a while, right? Uh, so I do see them adapting. They want to change. They, you know, and I, you know, I don't see them going anywhere. They're they're fully into this um, new uh, electric model and electric range. And I'm actually, I got to, I'm driving one for the first I, time I, I today. I was about to say, yeah, yeah. I, saw, I saw you drive. You're driving. I was like, that's a very quiet vehicle he's <laughs> yeah. driving in. So they're starting to offer some electric models, and you'll start to see some of the the internal combustion engine models, um, you know, go away. So, you know, it, it's it's got to be a good balance between offering too many models and offering the right models that people want, and then the right packaging, and then letting people select. You know, simplify the process. I think once you overcomplicate it, it's just too many vendors, too many parts, and it it almost makes it. Um, more likely that if there's a supply chain issue, that it'll affect you in the long term. So. Right. F- figure out what you can make standard across the three different models yeah. and then figure out what you can personalize mm-hmm. and get easy access to. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't don't make something so far out there that's so individualized that you're not going to be able to get that from, you know, for months in advance. Yeah. Find something that can be the same across but have several different options people can choose from so if someone comes in and wants Model A with Model B trimming, then there's going to be probably a couple more people that want that same setup that you can easily interchange parts. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And so that's what we're working on. I mean, some of the things you know come our way, and some of the things we get to provide input on. We have national dealer meetings, and they you know show us the new lineups and ask us questions. But you know, for the most part, like I said, the the things we can really control is more of you know, the in-house, our culture, our customer experience and how we, you know, how we treat employees and what we do in the community, less, less so what products are being offered, you know? Yeah. So, so and how do y'all on the, on the, on the culture side of things, how do y'all train your sales reps now knowing that it's going to be more of an per order basis instead of a sell what's on the lot? Yeah. How do you, is there a different mentality that goes into training your salespeople knowing that, you're dealing with shortage of supply issues. You're dealing with inaccess to parts, and you're dealing with telling people that, oh, this mo- this particular vehicle may be sold now. I can get you one in a month. Mm-hmm. How are y'all kind of starting to train your people to think differently and think outside of the box instead of going from buy this particular unit here to well, let's order you exactly what you want since you already have to wait. Yeah, they've become more portfolio managers, you know, because we have a portfolio of customers that lease and so we know their timeline right they they have a predetermined lease contract and so we have to be ahead of schedule with them we can't 
call them, you know, hey, your your car matures in two weeks. What you want to do? You know, it can't be <laughs> yeah. like that. Hey, right? your lease is done today. What's yeah. your decision? Right. So we have uh, we have a process for them to check in as as early as 12 months out just to see if it, you know, sometimes there's no decision, no intention at that point, even determined. They're, they're not sure. But we start to have the conversation. And I think just like anything, you have to be a little more proactive than before and be there to tailor the experience and tailor to what the client needs. And I think people are listening, reading the news, hearing what's going on. Um, I do think there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and I think they'll start to be a little bit better supply later this year. Um, but I don't ever see it being, you know, over lots overfilled with excess inventory. I don't think the manufacturers want, want that either. Yeah. I mean, that's just a lot of, it's yeah. a lot of usage of materials. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's, I guess, waste at some point. Right. I mean, if it's not a waste of resources, it's a waste of, you know, financials for the manufacturer that has to, um, incentivize, reasons for people to to buy that car and it's almost that climate has been that way for as long as i can remember as long as i have grown up you know knowing about you see the commercials you see the balloons you see that all that stuff and that was you know induced by the fact that everybody just wanted to sell as many vehicles as they can yeah now that, now that yeah. you mention that i yeah. have seen a lot less like used car dealerships or even car dealerships in general, I've seen a lot less of their commercials mm -hmm. like on TV and on like social media. There's just been a lot less advertising Yeah, from that standpoint of come buy this car, come buy, we got hot deals, hot deals, like yeah. come get all this. Now it's, well, we might be able to get you a car. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean that there's two sides to that, right? Well, first of all, if you don't need to advertise, you know, yeah, then if don't. you're ha not right. having a problem selling your vehicles, the other side of that is there's no incentives from the manufacturer like there were before. There's still a few things here and there, but it's nothing like it was before. Uh, so, you know, there's a pro and con to that. I think a lot of people thought like, hey, I'm, you know, your cost of ownership, your total cost of ownership is your total cost of ownership. Whether you start off at a low price early or later, it affects your value. Those vehicles that were heavily incentivized were worth a lot less the second they drove off the lot. So now vehicles are holding their values at a much higher pace. So I think that's where some people kind of, you know, are a little fuzzy. They think, oh, well, I'm paying more for a car, but that car is worth more. Your trade is worth more. Mm -hmm. It's a give and take. It's not just a one-sided thing, and you can't look at it as just a, you know, transaction. Now, if you had some huge incentive when you bought a car 10 years ago, then, you know, it, it was worth less that second. I mean, it was, right. there was a reason uh, that, you know, there was a lot of people with, you know, if they wanted to get out of the car after a couple of years and finance it for six, they were in, in a bad position. So, you know, it depends on what your usage is. And sometimes people don't look at like the bigger picture. They look at today, you know, look at what your usage is going to be. If you think nothing's going to change in your life and this is a vehicle you're going to keep, you know, six, seven years and you're okay with the safety and technology kind of being dated or that's not important to you and you just you know, so then, then you buy a car that way. If you plan to change every few years, I mean, I know people with their iPhones, they get the new phone every year because they as, want the as latest, soon as it comes out, the latest, latest and greatest. greatest technology. And that's how we should view cars in some capacity. They're basically a technology item. They're transportation, obviously, but they're also a, a technology and, and safety item. You spend a lot of time in it. You don't want something to happen to you. You want to be protected and safe in it. So, you know, I just think maybe understanding the bigger picture and if if the you know the pricing shift it shifts everywhere it doesn't just shift for when you buy it shifts for when you trade it shifts for your usage and your total cost of ownership and sometimes people just kind of look at one aspect of it and not the overall cost of ownership so you know that's what we try to you ask me how we you know how our salespeople, what we train them on we don't look at the bigger picture like find out what your customers needs are if they're going to change it out in two years, maybe a lease is better for them. If they plan on keeping it for 10 years and then giving it to their child, then, you know, financing is better for them. And, you know, so really asking the right questions, dig in a little deeper and, and provide good advice. Be trustworthy, provide good advice. That's all we ask. We don't say, hey, you know, we don't just focus on, you know, how many cars did you sell? Are you 
following the process? Are you providing good advice? Are you listening? Are you offering solutions? Are you being solution based or are you being results based? And right. so we, we, that's, that's the message that we give our, our people. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. training them to not, like you said, not just push the units to the door, yeah. but make sure when you sit with each individual customer that their needs are being met regardless of what you're trying to sell them. Yeah. It's okay. What are your needs first? Do we have a product that fits that need and how can we go about accomplishing your goals over your, your life term? Like, yeah. are you experiencing more people coming up and leasing with that technology focused mindset? Are they leasing more than they were in the past few years because they know they want the next new model as soon as it comes out? Well, uh, before the pandemic, there was a lot more leasing going on right now without some of the incentives and stuff. It, it doesn't make sense as much. And since cars are holding value, l a leasing was an avenue to lock in your depreciation, mm -hmm. you know, and now, you know, it doesn't make as much sense because if the values sustain, then you, there's no reason to lock in your depreciate your depreciation. You want to, you know, benefit from the fact that the, the values are staying high. So it really depends. Some models still make sense to lease depending on uh, residual values and the manufacturers set those based off an educated guess. And so they say what they think the vehicle is going to be worth after X amount of time and X amount of miles. Right. Uh, so, you know, it, it really is, like I said, it's tailored. It, you have to kind of look at each situation, but I've noticed leasing has gone down because the values are holding. And if that's the case, then you want the consumer to benefit from those values holding. Yeah. hundred percent, you know, and yeah. then in those cases where they are, um, they get to keep that equity rather than the leasing company for lack of better term, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, we use a leasing company <coughs> in our case is Mercedes financial services is the primary and only one that we use. So it, it has become more, I mean, I know what you do for a living. We've kind of become more of like, you know, I don't want to say financial advisors, but as it pertains to transportation, yeah. more of a, a, you know, financial advisor than it is, you know, a product specialist, even though we need to know the products and what they offer and what packaging and options they have. It's more about, you know, once the person has come to us, they've done a lot of their research. Like you said, six to eight months, they've done their research online. They know what they want. They've narrowed down to two or three models. They're only going to visit two to three dealerships. It's not like before where people would go up and down the road and go to six or seven and not really know what they want. They're looking online. They're looking at your reviews, your how you treat your people, how you treat oh, yeah. your customers. They're looking at your product, how it's reviewed. They're looking at the safety and the technology and the value. And then they just want to get behind the wheel because you, you know, everything looks good on the computer, right? You, you, a lot of people pick cars based off of styling first, most probably functionality. You know, if you need a pickup truck, you're buying a pickup truck, right? But then they look at styling and some of the colors and options. There is a, you know, subjective part to that of how they feel the car looks and how it fits their lifestyle and their persona uh but once they get behind the wheel they have to enjoy driving that car because that's ultimately what you do what yeah. you're spending you know a lot of time doing so and i don't know i mean some people are buying online and never driving the car and that just amazes me that's a big commitment yeah. to not at least see how it feels you know you get in it and the turning radius is is difficult and it's hard to park and you're just like you know or it rides rough or it's loud or you know, there's so many things that, but, you know, with, with some of these online retailers that they're pushing that, but I don't know. I, it's a big commitment. I don't know if I'd feel comfortable making that commitment, not, not getting behind the wheel. Yeah. I mean, bu buying a car is a, it's a serious financial commitment from any, anybody's perspective. It's a, it is a financial commitment to purchase a vehicle for your family. It's not something you go and should take lightly. It's something you like, need diligent research to determine what's going to fit you best for your family's needs, what fits, fits within your budget, and also, like you said, what type of persona is it going to perceive to the outer world for you when you're driving it, you know? And you got to make sure that all those boxes are checked off. You're not just going to walk on a lot say, that looks good, box it up, let's go. It's a lot more of a detailed process now, and with the advancement of technology and people's research capabilities, they're doing a lot of their research beforehand. They don't necessarily need all of the education they were getting before. Now they just need, all right, what do you want? Let me facilitate that order for you and make it happen. Yeah. And so within that, I mean, we're starting to get towards the end of the show. It 
you've got so much of a brand awareness and a business awareness that you've gathered over the years that you've been at Mercedes. What is three lessons you've learned along the way in your journey so far? The first one I would say is listen. There's too many people that just don't listen. You know, listen to what people are telling you, your employees, your customers, listen to the outside world. I mean, if you care, you'll you'll take the time to see what what is going on. You'll get you'll get the information that you need not only to take care of your people, to take care of your customers. They'll they'll tell you what they're expecting, you know, they'll give you good advice on maybe where you missed the mark. So that's one of the first things that that I've had to learn to be a lot better at, right? Because I think a lot of times you you think you know what should happen. You think you know what you should do, and uh, and if you don't if you don't take that outside feedback and really value it, uh, you'll make decisions based off of just your own, you know, possibly bias or your own. Um, determination sometimes they're predetermined you know I can't tell you how many times I sat in a meeting and I've already come to a conclusion and I'm like you know what maybe I shouldn't I shouldn't have the answer already right right so I say the lesson I learned is listen first I think every if everybody did that we would you know there'd be a lot more um, cooperation in the world Uh, number two is I mean serving others it it at some point you realize it's not about you it's not about me it's about the other people around me so uh serving my my employees that's what i'm there for i'm i'm accessible i'm there for them i try to provide everything i can as far as giving them the tools they need to succeed offer them coaching offering advice whatever i can do to to help them and i think about those relationships because without them i really i don't have anything um number three is just be adaptive you know we we're in this fast-paced ever-changing industry fast-paced ever-changing society and you have to be adaptive to what's going on you know i mean uh a lot of times i've heard of you know this is how we've always done things or this is the best way to do things. I, you know, I don't necessarily think that's true. I think there's always a, a new and improved way. I, but I also don't want to be one of those people that changes stuff just for the sake of changing it to make it right. new. So trying to find that balance. But, you know, you have to be adaptive. This is there's so many things that update daily information updates daily. So uh, being willing to be open to change where so many people struggle with it. They just say, this is what I'm comfortable with. If you're not willing to change, you're always staying in what's called a comfort zone. And if you stay in the comfort zone, there is no growth in that zone, none. So we always kind of, like I said, we don't just change for the sake of change. It has to have a value and a benefit to it. But if you're not willing and open to do that, then you're kind of getting left behind a little bit. So, yeah. And it's other people are doing it if you're not. Yeah. Yeah. So what is something you did as a kid you wish you could still do today? I would have to say play soccer. Okay. The body has not been great to me (laughs) from ankles, knees, lower back. I love the sport so much. My boys play. Uh, I love watching my boys play. I have one that's 18 or about to be 18 and one that's 10. Uh, So... And sometimes I'll get out there. When I coached, I got out there, and every time I do it, I, I'm like, there's not enough Advil to make me feel okay. <laughs> but I would say that's one thing I could do. Just, you know, if anybody's out there and you're playing a sport and you're capable of doing it, enjoy it. Because when you can't, you miss it, and you're just, you know. And, yeah, I could I could play. It just hurt a lot. and It'd be painful. <laughs> it'd be very painful. And I don't know, you know, I don't think there's enough time at the – chiropractor that would uh fix me up for that so <laughs> yeah sports they take a toll on the body yeah it's, it's brutal but it's there's so many lessons you learn from it too absolutely and that's what i tell tell my kids my daughter swam um and my and my both my boys play soccer and my youngest he swims and plays soccer he followed the footsteps of his older siblings but there's so many life lessons that you learn from playing team sports individual sports 
uh, and that's, you know, it almost translates into the business world so perfectly. And so we, we use a lot of those analogies, uh, and learn from that in, in our, in our business as well. So, yeah. And yeah. I love that. Yeah. Team sports and individual sports. It's a lot of lessons that we learned there. Yeah. So what is something you love about Baton Rouge? Oh gosh. I love a lot of things about Baton Rouge. <laughs> uh, obviously being an LSU graduate, I love, uh, I love the university. I love the university sports. Um, I support and follow all of them as many as I can try to go to as many events and games as I can. Uh, so the university is what brought me and my family here and me and both of my sisters, my dad, we all graduated from LSU. So I think it has a, a huge impact on the city. I think when the university is doing well, you see the economy does well. Uh, but what I, what I've noticed about the people here and I've got to, you know, work in some other cities briefly, but the people here, like, I, I love the people in my team, the, our customers, the relationships, and how the community's always willing to look out for each other. I remember after the flood, the historic flood of 2016, just seeing people step up and help a stranger like that w they were family. And you don't get that everywhere. You know, you really don't. No. And so the community involvement is great, and there's a lot to offer. I think that, that you know, there's a lot of things that Baton Rouge has to offer, that people don't talk about. They want to talk about just what, you know, maybe negative things, and they don't want to talk about the the things that are growing from cuisine, from, you know, um, from business, from entrepreneurs and all that, all the different things going on here. Uh, some of the things that we did with our uh, Rotary Club, we put the statue down there for our millennial um, downtown. And so, you know, live after five, I mean, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to do here there and is. it doesn't, it doesn't get recognized. And I talk to people, it's like, Oh, well, I'm moving out of state. There's no opportunity here. There is opportunity. There's plenty of great businesses looking for people right now. There, there was opportunity for me. There's opportunity for for everyone out there. And so that's what I, I mean. I'd say the people's number one, the university yeah. and I like food, so I'd say <laughs> I'd never have a problem finding a good place to eat. Yeah. It's, it's hard to not find a good place to eat here. And yeah. I mean, to what you said right there of people moving out, trying to find opportunity elsewhere, that's in part what inspired me to start the show was to showcase the businesses and the business operators doing great things in the community, doing great things of business and being entrepreneurial in our city, in our state, and saying there is a lot of opportunity here. People are making it happen every single day. There's so many different people doing different things that I wanted to highlight them and say we as a community, support all these people doing these great things in business, that there's no reason you have to look outside the box of Louisiana or Baton Rouge to find opportunity. There's no reason to move away because there's no opportunity here. There's so much opportunity here. So long as you go around looking for that opportunity and knocking on the door, there will be someone to answer the opportunity that you're after. Yeah, and you can also create it yourself. Exactly, no, create yourself. stopping you. Nope. So for the final question, what can I do to help you? Uh, you personally, I mean, you're yeah. doing it. You got me on here. I mean, I, I appreciate it. I'm honored that you, you asked me, uh, this has been great. Just sitting down chatting with you. It's like we're old buddies, you know, <laughs> and uh, you know, just really getting the word out about how our businesses here locally affect the community. And mm -hmm. I, you know, challenge all our local businesses to continue to give back, take care of your employees, offer a great place to work, and you'll have people come to you I mean you'll have more business than you can handle if you just do those things and so you know just be just be generous with with your community outreach and see what you can do to make an impact on others you know like I said it's not about you it's about somebody else so that's right try to figure out a way that you can you can make the, this a better place to live yeah so. I, I will with each episode we'll do what we can yeah so thank you so much Nick for coming on the show I really appreciate your time and Glad we're able to make this happen and educate people on what Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge has to offer. Thank you. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. And thank everybody else for listening or watching whatever platform you're consuming this on. I really appreciate it. I know the guests do as well. If you are in the need for a vehicle or you're in the need for a new job, maybe even you're searching to find a new team to become a part of, Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge is that place to be. You heard all about them on this episode. They are an actual sponsor of the Patty G Show 
and we're very thankful for that. And so if you're looking for a place to work or a new vehicular transportation, be sure and reach out to them and let them know the Patty G Show sent you, as well as a big thanks to our wonderful other sponsors, Valaya Focus Studios. If you're a business or an individual and you want to get into the podcasting space, they've got a place here in Louisiana Technology Park right in the heart of Baton Rouge that is second to none. I mean, I have yet to see some place that can do what they can do. Jacob on the boards just makes it happen and really brings the show to life, and I'm very thankful for him to that. And on this National Margarita Day, this two Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022, we are very thankful for Government Taco. We had some delicious margaritas from them. They have a specialty going on today, but if you're listening to this after the fact, they've got a new taco of the month every month. They've got great facilities and a great restaurant right there on Government by the corner of Jefferson. Go over there and check them out and be sure to hit them up for your everyday lunch needs. And also for Horizon Financial Group, they were our guests last week on the show. We're very thankful to them. And you're going to hear a little bit of a message after the show. And also to Currency Bank. They're a new business bank here in Baton Rouge that just opened. Scott Godin, a past guest of the show, is one of the founding members of the bank. They really take your business to the next level when it comes to banking. They are there for you, just like Nick is there for his team, his support staff, and his customers. Currency Bank is that personal touch of banking that every business leader needs. And if you're in the mood to change or you're maybe looking for a different alternative after the past couple years, you were unsatisfied with your bank, be sure and go check out Currency Bank and let me know that Patty G so sent you. And with that, y'all, thank y'all so very much for listening to this latest rendition of the Patty G Show with Nick Pintus of Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge. Y'all have a good one. At Horizon Financial Group, we enjoy helping others achieve greater confidence, clarity, and direction in their lives. We realize everyone's path to financial success is unique. Sometimes you just need a friendly guide along the way. Whether it's customized financial planning, individual wealth management, or servicing your company's retirement plan, we've got the team with the experience to help you reach your goals. Horizon Financial Group, helping you provide, protect, and prosper for those counting on you. Visit us at horizonfg.com. Satera Advisors, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. Satera is a separate entity.